This episode was first posted May 23rd, 2011. It's hard to believe I was talking about this movie being fairly new, but now it's almost 10 years old, and not a whole lot has changed. This is Movies for the Blind, episode 170, Dirt, the Movie, part one of two. I just had a sip of dinosaur pee. Hello and welcome to Movies for the Blind, where you can enjoy films without looking at a screen. I'm Valerie Hunter. Yes, we're back, and with something quite different this time. Not only was this film released only two years ago, it's a documentary. Now, if you've never heard a documentary described, you may wonder how much description is necessary, since often there's already a narrator, like there will be here. It is a different rhythm from what you're used to on this podcast, but like fictional films, the docs vary in how much description is needed. There are often a lot of talking heads saying things, and it's hard to keep straight who's saying what. Also, especially recently, more docs are coming out with action, illustration, and dramatic structure that can definitely use description. This is one of those docs, which was inspired by a book by Bill Logan called Dirt, the ecstatic skin of the earth, and went through an eight-year process to make it to the screen. There are some great characters and a lot to learn here, so let's get to it. From 2009, this is Dirt, the movie. Common Ground Media, Inc. presents A film by Bill Benenson and Gene Rosau. A big bang occurs in space. Since the beginning of time, of all the planets and all the galaxies of the known universe, only one has a living, breathing skin called dirt. In India, a man takes a piece of wet mud and washes it over his face. Another man beside him washes his leg the same way as they sit with running water nearby. Holding a clump of dirt, Bill Logan, author of Dirt, the Ecstatic Skin of the Earth. All the silicon and aluminum that are the basis of the framework of the soil, all the carbon in the humus, the magnesium, the sodium, the calcium, all of that is made in stars very different from our star, very far away, and has probably been recycled through dozens of stars before it got to us. Vandana Shiva. We are made of the same five basic elements that the Earth is made of. Fritjof Capra. The living organisms on Earth have used the very same molecules over and over again. Not just the same types of molecules, but the very same molecules. John Todd. Dirt is very much alive. Probably has in it all of the kingdoms of life, from the tiniest bacteria to the fungi and the algae, the slime molds. With the amount of species that live in a teaspoon of dirt. Gary Vaynerchuk. It's very obvious dirt might be more alive than we are. Various molecules combine into soil to form the title. Dirt, the movie. Narrated by Jamie Lee Curtis. About four and a half billion years ago, the Earth was a fiery ball of molten rock. A volcano erupts. Volcanoes punched through the surface, showering minerals from the Earth's core and spewing water vapor that turned into rain. 
Lightning flashes across roiling clouds. For millions of years, rain pounded rock into clay and formed the oceans where life began. Microorganisms swim around and combine. Microscopic life oozed from the sea and onto the land where it mixed with the clay, creating the first living dirt. A pit bubbles, and the seed takes root, followed by many others. Countless cycles of birth and death, fertility and decay, transformed this dirt into the matrix of life on Earth. A green forest is dappled with sun, while elsewhere, human legs walk beside mud. When humans arrived two million years ago, everything changed for dirt. And from that moment on, the fate of dirt and humans has been intimately linked. Wangari Mathai, Nobel laureate, founder Greenbelt Movement. We think that diamonds are very important, uh, gold is very important, all these minerals are very important. We call them precious minerals. But they are all forms of the soil. But that part of this mineral that is on top, like it is the skin of the earth, that is the most precious of the commons. Our wealth is imaginary. Janine Benyas comes from soil. If we don't take care of the soil, we Miguel Altieri, first five centimeters layer of life that is on the, on the earth, uh, our future is totally condemned. And no symbol falls on the earth. We take the soil for granted because uh, it's there, it's everywhere. Um, except when it, all of it has been taken by the wind or by the running water and then you are left with bare rock. Old jail prisoners break rocks. And you realize you can't do very much with the bare rock. A man inhales handfuls of soil. A lovely, mild, sweet aroma and it has so much diverse life in it. Jeremy Narby. A handful of terrestrial dirt contains more um, organized information than the surface of all the other known planets. What? Narby is rewound. Contains more um, organized information than the surface of all the other known planets. Logan. This much soil probably has in it tens of billions of microorganisms. They're represented as little cartoon dirt bits. Some in cooperation, some in competition. So they have tremendous strategies for living with each other and getting rid of each other and making their own space in the ground. One dirt bit with a knife chases another across the screen. The chasing dirt bit returns and plants the knife in triumph. Narby. The idea that uh, they're just microorganisms, just stupid dirt, is stupid. <laughs> Biologist Peter Gerges. What we often call dirt, you know, this. The, the stuff we're trying to wash off our car or, or wash off your driveways, you know, are really these soils and sediments that are vital to keeping our, our biosphere healthy, which is all about keeping the plants and animals and, and ourselves alive. Logan. Dirt is a really strong living word. It's a word like house, wrath, eat, It's a word that has flavor to it in your mouth. And it's a word that's about relationships. Kids don't go to play in the soil. They go to play in the dirt. A couple dozen kids walk on dirt holding hands in a circle. Bundelkhand India. Stopping, they bend down and throw handfuls of it in the air. Plumes of the light brown dirt fly from their hands and over each other. And the children dance in the clouds that form. 
The dirt is a richer brown and covered with foliage in Olympic National Park, Washington State. As we walk through the landscape, not only are the birds aware and the bears and all the other animals of this forest, all the microbes in the soil are aware of our presence. Various forms of fungi unfurl along the bottoms of the trees. Sitting at the foot of one, mycologist Paul Stamets. We're deep in the old growth forest at the end of the trail that's called the trail that time forgot. And here I sit amongst these giant spruce trees that have grown over the years. They're probably three to 400 years of age, 120 to 160 feet high. They reach straight into a blue sky. And this old growth forest comes from the soil that's so thin beneath my feet. The soil was originated after the last ice age, 10,000 years ago, when the glaciers receded, they scraped away most of the soil down to barren rock. Small lenses of soil survived, and in these lenses, trees and small shrubs begin to grow. But the soil was so thin, they climaxed, they fell over, the fungi rotted them, the soil became a little deeper, the lens got a little larger. Next succession would occur, and again and again and again, these cycles of renewal, decomposition, soil building, soil becomes thickened, as the soil becomes thicker, it increases in this ability to support biodiversity. Later, let me pull this back. He rolls a small grown-in log. And you can see the mycelium is all underneath. These are the interface organisms between life and death. And as they decompose the wood, they generate soil. This cobwebby growth then erupts into a mushroom. One grows from it. Spores spread, and satellite communities appear distant from the mushroom from which it sprang. This is the way of fungi. All soils in the world are infused with these mycelial mats. This is what the entire soil is made of. It's made of mycelium, and as it decomposes the wood material and plant material, it becomes dirt. Mycelium makes dirt. Cathedral of St. John the Divine. Even in the concrete jungle, dirt finds a way to come into being. Logan. I decided to write a book about dirt largely because everywhere I went in New York, people didn't seem to believe in it. People didn't seem to believe that nature existed at all. In oil painting style animation, Clyde's pickup. Clyde was a guy I knew really well. He was just a general handyman. And one day he was asked to clean the front of the cathedral because there was a block that was loose in the tops. On a scaffold, he resets one of the blocks, but slips back and falls. Clyde fell off the scaffold. He fell more than 40 feet. Soon after, an ambulance arrives and takes him away from his truck where rain and leaves start to fall. While he recovered in the hospital, his Chevy pickup sat for months under a maple tree, the motor not running. It sits under a blanket of snow, which soon melts with the advent of spring. But in the back of the truck, open to the air and the sunlight and the rain, nature's motor was emphatically running as fallen leaves, styrofoam cups, Chinese menus and pigeon droppings turned into a garden. In the greening bed of the truck, ants skitter over torn Chinese restaurant menus. The process that turns garbage into a garden is central to our survival. We depend on dirt to purify and heal the systems that sustain us. Water runs over rocks in the stream. Todd. As a water doctor, the repository of life that I need to heal are the organisms that are beneath our feet. That's the basic machine that has always recycled our water. Andy Lipkiss. There is no new water on the planet. Founder and president, Tree People. 
it's always been recycled. So this notion that water is pristine, it's that community of soil, of dirt, of critters, of trees and plants. It's all of these things, Todd. including the tiniest worms in the soil that do this transformation. Now, Lipkiss. thinking about the water. He picks up a glass of it. This pristine stuff that we're drinking. He drinks. I just had a sip of dinosaur pee. In our earliest stories, we've celebrated dirt as the source of who we are and where we come from. In an animation, a dirty handprint marks a cave wall. It becomes a picture of a deer, which sticks out its tongue. In the Amazon jungle, it's said that one day sun hurled a stick rattle into Mother Earth. The stick rattle cracks the earth. And out we came. A person pops out of a drop, followed by others from the ground. They bow to the sun, which becomes an Egyptian eye. Ancient Egyptians believed that the gods shaped clay into humans and put them in an earthly paradise. One is placed on a barge with a pharaoh's crown and a cocktail, and sails along a river. Jewish, Christian, and Muslim traditions share the story that God scooped up dirt and blew in the breath of life. In Hebrew, the very name Adam means dirt or clay. An animated Adam looks around Eden. And Eve from Adam. means life. Dirt in the Garden of Eden gave them and us everything we need to survive. Navdanya Farm, Darren in India. In traditional agriculture, Shiva. the soil is the mother. She's the mother who gives, to whom you must give back. And to treat soil as the sacred mother is the best thing you could put in your relationship with the earth. In traditional agriculture, soil is recognized as the source of all fertility. As another woman pulls out stalks of grass, Shiva walks among cows. The sacred cow is such an important part of sacred soil because as we feed the cows, the part of the plant that we cannot eat, they turn that into the real life of the soil, the cow dam. She points at a pile of dung. Indian civilization wouldn't have lasted 10,000 years if it hadn't recognized the worth of what is literally the beginning of dirt, living dirt. <laughs> Farmer Bob Kennard. Whenever interacting with nature, you've got to grow food for humanity, and at the same time, you've got to grow food for nature. Why, welcome to Kennard Farm. Glen Allen, California. Plants get compounds from the air, and they get energy from the sun, and they use their biological systems to fix this stuff into the sugars. They use some of those sugars to put into their fruit for attraction, to spread their seeds with all us animals. There's about half of those sugars they secrete from their root systems and pump those sugars into the soil to feed the soil biology. Plants are absorbing moisture, so there's a tide in the soil coming to the plant. While they're alive, they have been utilizing their bodily wastes to solubilize the mineral nutrients from the raw parent material. This is the raw parent material, a rock. This is planted earth. 
We're going to have tomato plants and little baby vetch plants growing up underneath them. And we're going to come in and harvest the tomato plants. And then the vetch plants will have the whole land and it'll turn into a tangle of vetch and other weeds. And they'll be allowed to come to full maturity and die of their own volition. They're going to die of maturity. They're going to be grandmas at 93 dying of contentment. Then that is going to offer the soil mature, durable, organic matter. In La Blachere, France, on another farm, visionary environmentalist Pierre Rabhi is a farmer without borders. He's devoted his life to healing dirt. Over many years, this dirt has taught me a lot. He breaks up the soil with a garden fork. God did not give us this amazing dirt to mistreat it. Bending down, you find some potatoes. I have a relationship with this living organism. He stands with two handfuls of dirt and picks them apart. At times, I'm dirt's father because I take care of it. At times, dirt's my mother because she feeds me. At times, dirt's my lover because... We share a loving relationship. I take care of it, and the dirt takes care of me. I feel the life within it. Lip kiss. Dirt that's alive is a community, and that community is trees and plants, microorganisms living in the soil, the plants that hold it together, the mulch that's fed by all the leaves that come. That's an amazing community. Add the layer of human community interaction with us helping feed, helping water, prune, but also exchanging the oxygen and the carbon dioxide, that necessary community exchange, the trees feeding us fruit. High in a tree, a man cuts down fruit collected on the ground in a basket. We live in potentially a garden of Eden. More fruits are dropped into the basket. In a garden, greenery sets off blooms of orange, yellow, and purple. I've got zucchini, I've got strawberries, carrots, Yellow beans, purple beans, cucumbers. I mean, what more could you want? Bunches of purple grapes dangle from a vine. Green bananas wait in a tree. At the bottom of another tree, a man crosses himself, then hops onto the trunk and climbs up. Among long fronds, he reaches and chops, freeing coconuts that fall. Someone else breaks into one with a machete and hands the halves to another. The coconut. Gary Vaynerchuk. I eat the ground. Wine Library TV. I will tell you that every wine-growing region I've ever been to, which is a lot, Italy and Spain and France and Australia and all these places, the first thing I do is put my hand in the ground and eat it. I don't know what that means if I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, I always feel a connection. The ground is what you taste when you really break it down, when you're not just drinking for casual fun, when you're nerding it up. It's the ground that really exposes the wine. In a vineyard, he spits wine. Getting a lot of cranberries. I get a little bit of like a roasted peppers kind of thing going on. Maybe even a little bit of cassis on the back of the Sanjo. Now, when you taste the grape. He takes one from a vine and tastes. You know, maybe tasting some of that berries. Now going down this beautiful vine. Bends down. You get into the soil. And as you dig into the soil, you know, you start, this is a sandy soil. He sniffs a handful. You start smelling it. And you're getting, you know, that classic dirtiness that you, you know, sand and dirt that you get. And maybe even a little. He touches his tongue to it. Oh, taste. Inside of the counter. Every piece of land has its own flavor profile and terroir. People understand it's all about their dirt. 
Agua Dolce Vineyard, Santa Clara, California. Listening to the stories of the people who've gone organic, who've gone from being places that put awkward things into the land to being very clean, the wine is so much better. And healthy vineyards make healthy wine. A dirt bit raises a glass. The people who make the greatest wines in the world, they love their dirt. They pick it up, they coddle it, they kiss it, they put it in a jar and it sits in their mantle in the living room because they know, they know. Elsewhere, hands gather mud and knead it. An older man crouches, forming the mud into a ball. As people walk past him on a market street, with a solid handful, the man stands and walks off. As a woman watches from her window, the man crouches again and takes a pole, which he uses to turn a stone disc, where the mud ball spins in the center. He spins it faster and faster, then puts the pole aside, grabs a handful of water, and uses it to start molding the turning ball as it spins on the makeshift potter's wheel. He forms a hole in the top with his thumbs and a slender neck with the rest of his hands. Adding more water, he widens the hole at the top and pushes down on the bottom of the concave section he's molding, pushing it deeper within. The form becomes a rounded pot. As children watch nearby, the man slows the wheel and picks up the pot, which he sets aside. Shiva. Growing up in a country like India, in the period when I did, um, soil literally was your cradle. Everything was soil. Women spread mud on a courtyard. My parents were highly educated, but my mother had chosen to become a farmer. The courtyard is swept. And I remember our holidays coming down to her farm, and our most fun thing used to be the cow dung and soil plaster with which on a daily basis the floors would be plastered. It was like artwork, it was like being a painter. And for us that freedom to play with dirt I think has been both my intellectual, emotional and physiological immunity builder. A three-wheel car drives up a driveway in El Cerrito, California. The car is labeled the Natural Builders. People have been building with dirt for over 9,000 years. Kevin Rowell. Most of the world considers this a really viable building material. A third of the world still lives in earthen structures. Marisha Farnsworth. Right on your site, you don't have to transport it. To operate heavy machinery, pull out hundreds of yards of soil, then haul it hundreds of miles away to dispose of it like it's garbage. Just seemed ludicrous. He picks up mud from a bucket. We use the wonderful machine <laughs> the horse, in this case, to process our straw. It's like loose concrete. Incredibly fine fiber. Marisha spreads it as she would concrete. Adding enzymes and other proteins to the manure, which act as a natural glue. So as this dries, it dries with an incredible hardness. And we're just kicking it old school. It's like, oh, this is how everybody's done everything for so long. In India, a similar material is formed, shiva. The mixture of mud and cow dung in our climate has many, many uses. The cow dung acts as an antiseptic, so you don't get infestations. And mud, compared to cement, is warm in winter and cool in summer. So if you go into a house with a mud plaster in the summer, it'll be cool. You go into a house with cement plaster, it'll radiate the heat. In California, Marisha and Kevin use spreading tools for an even coat on a floor. You get the dirt high. It's a really different experience than 
VOCs and petrochemicals. And I'd like to think that it lasts longer. Everybody could get it if they got their hands dirty. For us, mud is not just Shiva. the matrix of life in where you grow your plants. It's our building structure. It is, it's our very sense of who we are. Dust to dust. David Orr. And ashes to ashes. We are dirt. Professor Oberlin College. And we're made of it. We're made of clay. And to that we return. Everything. Jeanette Armstrong, Okanagan Indian land speaker. Flesh, our blood, our bones could not be here without the land. Narby. The DNA text of a bacterium has entire paragraphs that are identical to our own genetic instructions. So on a physical chemical level, we're just not all that different from uh, microorganisms as we might think we are. To understand Armstrong, when you look at the mountains or the lakes or the rivers and to feel that uh, being a part of it, to feel that this flesh that's standing here is that place, uh, that I am that river, I am that mountain, uh, I am that dirt. I could pick up a hand of dirt, and that's, that's what my grandmother used to say. She's, she'd pick up a hand of dirt and she'd say, this is my flesh. In mountainous desert land marked with green scrub, people walk along a curving highway. Some have left cars on the side of the road. Later, they line up outside a church in Chimayo, New Mexico, on the road. We're on our way, get some sacred dirt, get our souls right, cleanse. Yeah. Maybe throw some dirt in her hair or something. <laughs> Have a dirt bath. <laughs> dirt bath, but uh, this got the holy dirt here in Chimayo. Glad to be New Mexicans. Today we walked 22 miles, me and her did. We do the walk every year to come over here and stand in the pit of dirt. And it has healing powers. Gives us like a good sense of the Holy Spirit. A priest. People from all over the world come here. There's a sense that God's continuing creative action is real close here. One of the meanings of Chimayo is that our connection to the earth is still sacred. Inside, a man takes dirt from a small hole and sprinkles it on a little girl. We did the pilgrimage today for my family. My Auntie Mary Jane just passed away, so that's what sparked it up. The dirt from the Santuario de Chimayo has a specific sparkle to it. So whenever we need it, it will sprinkle a little bit here or there, and it does help. It's proved true. She holds a small bag of dirt like many others. In the past, I was not paying attention to the dirt. But when I came to this place and I met people for whom the dirt is so important because their lives used to depend on fields and crops and harvests, I truly believe that then my, all, my eyes were, were open. And, and I understood better the importance of Mother Earth. Another priest. Remember, you are dirt, into dirt you shall return. <laughs> the pink-brown hills surrounding Chimayo grow many pieces of scrub. Elsewhere, a dirt bit emanates light, but its eyes open wide, startled. An explosion tears a hole in a mine pit, and another, and near the dirt bit. A line of explosions rips through a ridge in the Appalachian Mountains. Another takes out a wall of dirt. The demand for natural resources has completely changed our relationship with dirt. Or This is a fabric of life being torn apart that can never be put back together again. All around the world, we are destroying dirt in pursuit of the raw materials we consider to be more valuable. 
practice of coal mining that's called mountaintop removal. It's strip mining with a vengeance with equipment, the scale of which is difficult to conceive. A wheel digging out dirt dwarfs a nearby truck whose tires are twice the height of a man. Mountains are literally cut off and leveled, and they're being destroyed in the name of cheap electricity. It isn't cheap at all. It's unbelievably expensive. It's the attitude toward nature that says nature is only resources to be used, and not for the benefit of everyone, but for the benefit of a very, very small number of people at a very, very thin slice of time in this human journey. Dirt is dumped into giant trucks. So the coal companies can come in and blast and remove a one layer of what they call overburden. The overburden is a boulder field which will have no water table. That will support no vegetation. And the mountaintops, with all the things that are in mountains, the heavy metals of lead, cadmium, selenium, all that now is free to get out into the watershed. Orange-brown water stains rocks. On a hill in Los Angeles, California, Andy Lipkis. I was born and raised here in Los Angeles in the 1950s. He points down. I was raised in the house right there with the white van in the driveway. He walks. Urban intensity, but I got to escape it by hiking up here every day after school. I'd come up with my friends. We would see the animals, the snakes. We'd imagine getting to fish here, hunt, but the smog was devastating. It obscures the skyline. If you look out, you see the vastness of concrete, asphalt, homes, buildings, parking lots, freeways. The city was built and designed and has been managed for over 100 years as a dead piece of inert concrete. We've put all this asphalt on top of living dirt. Concrete is spread over a dirt bed, which blinks in the dark. It switches on a flashlight, frowning as people walk above. Eco-designer Richard Register we live in this living organism. It's dysfunctional, pathological, but it's a living organism. It's called the flat city. He sketches. So when you have an area paved with something black, it's going to collect a lot of heat, so you get a very strong heat island effect from building a city like Los Angeles. And then superimposed in this, of course, come the freeways. So the biggest way that the city, as we're building them now, relate to climate change is that they put up massive amounts of CO2. From 1990, Lipkiss. We took the rivers and encased them in concrete. We paved literally two-thirds of Los Angeles so that now when it does rain, instead of being absorbed by the soil, the water runs off and it's billions and billions of gallons. Today, the city of Los Angeles itself spends close to a billion dollars a year to bring in water from as far away as Wyoming and Utah all over to bring it here. We don't need to. We have half the water falling here now, but because we've sealed the dirt and sent the water away, 20% of our electricity is to bring water here. So when you turn on the tap, it's a climate change event. Brown legs and flip-flops walk across rocky ground. Without healthy dirt, it's difficult to survive extreme climate events like hurricanes, floods, windstorms, and drought. Bundelkhand, India, Shiva. A large part of Bundelkhand is today suffering from a very extended drought linked to climate change. And this long-term drought has led to crop failure, which has led to starvation. A cow's skull rests on the land. Matai. You create deserts where you are, and eventually these micro-deserts form much bigger areas. Hundreds of refugees cross a desert. And we can't live very happily in a desert. In black and white photos, a refugee family walks with an animal. 
and a baby is carried at the end of a long line. And so we start fighting between farming communities and nomadic communities over land that is not a desert, that still has dirt. Desertification or land degradation is one good way of undermining security in any country. Carrying automatic rifles, soldiers ride in jeeps across dirt roads bound by greenery. In India, a man crouches on the parched ground. Throughout history, we've seen civilizations rise and fall based on how they treated dirt. Archival footage shows horses pulling a harvester. The American Midwest was known as the breadbasket of the world. Across the prairies, using modern industrial machinery, farmers removed native grasses to plant a single crop over millions of acres. This seemingly efficient system of farming, called monoculture, worked in the short term, bringing record yields and profits. Shiva. Monocultures don't produce more, they produce less. Monocultures produce nothing for the soil. The idea that we are increasing soil fertility and agricultural productivity through industrial monocultures is one of the biggest lies. What the farmers didn't realize was that they were killing their dirt by destroying its root structure. After years of severe drought, fierce winds picked up whatever remained of the topsoil and just blew it away, leaving the dust bowl in its wake. A dirt bit dressed like a farmer of that time has its hat blown off by wind. Then the dirt bit is blown away. In archival footage, a farmer hangs onto his hat as the land is shrouded in a fog of blown dirt. Bill Logan. The dust bowl was an event not quite on the same scale, but getting up to comparable to what happened after the last ice age. We made a really big change in the landscape just by bad farming practices. What appear to be sand dunes encroach on shacks as a farmer tries to dig himself out with a child looking on. Stray sprouts wave in the wind. Janine Benyes. A third of our topsoil we've lost in the last 100 years. It's the problem of agriculture. It's the way we do agriculture now. Altieri, entomologist, UC Berkeley. If you look at the landscapes today, we have millions and millions of hectares of monocultures of one variety. One species, one variety. In Cordoba, Argentina, a vast field is dried out. All these monocultures are actually going to collapse under climate change scenario, especially in drought situations. On the field, Professor Juan Vicente Sanchez. Now genetically modified soy dominates this land. When you see the vast scale of what's happened to the soil here in Cordoba, you know it's a serious problem. Altieri. The more we grow monocultures, the more vulnerable our systems are. So we need to diversify the systems. For example, in the, in the winter here, sometimes we grow broccoli with fava beans. If a frost comes, the broccoli dies, the fava bean remains. It's very resistant to frost. If you have corn and beans and sorghum and a drought comes, the sorghum will remain. Everything else will collapse. So you don't put all the, the eggs in one basket. Janine Benyes, Biomimicry Institute. We have this one species planted for miles, and it's a all-you-can-eat restaurant for pests. So once a pest learns to unlock the key and get into one kind of plant, and you've got that plant planted for miles around, it can open every single plant, okay? And so that's how pest epidemics get going, so then we add pesticides. A crop duster flies low over a field, dropping a fog of pesticide. In an animation, 
A dirt pit wears a gas mask underground as it seeps in and surrounds it. Physicist Vandana Shiva. And those chemicals deplete the life of the soil. They take away the structure of the soil. They take away the water of the soil. They take away the very organisms that make for soil fertility. Anthropologist Jeremy Narby. Essentially, insects and plants are so like us physiologically, uh, you know, cell to cell, gene to gene, protein to protein, that if it's going to kill plants and if it's going to kill insects, it's going to kill us too. Shiva. What this system produces is food empty of nutrients but loaded with toxics. We weren't designed to eat that kind of diet. Industrial farming practices have robbed the soil of its nutrients and created a huge demand for nitrogen fertilizer. When we pump those nitrogen fertilizers into the soil, we're not just killing the life of the soil. This is mobile nitrogen. Only about 20% is taken up by the plant. Some of it goes to the water tables, and the rest goes into rivers. In the American Midwest, the excess nitrogen flows into streams down the Mississippi River and into the Gulf of Mexico. An animation shows its journey. The nitrogen then feeds giant blooms of algae that suffocate nearly all marine life, creating a massive dead zone where only jellyfish can thrive. In the animation, jellyfish dominate the sea. This mobile nitrogen also combines with oxygen to form nitrous oxide, which floats up to the atmosphere, accelerating climate change. Shiva. 25% of greenhouse gas emissions are coming from an agriculture that has become a war against the soil. For two seasons, three seasons, they'll get a soya harvest. Then they'll abandon it like a desert and cut down another 100,000 square miles. In a forest, a man guides a chainsaw through a large tree trunk and steps away as it falls past younger trees. Leaves and debris rain down. Trees absorb pollutants, protect topsoil, prevent erosion, sequester carbon, and release oxygen. Shiva. The entire Brazilian rainforest is being cut down for expansion of soya. We have always cut down forests to clear land for growing food. Now to meet the global demand for lumber, paper, biofuels, and land to graze cattle, forests around the world are being mowed down and the dirt beneath them ravaged. The government and many other people see timber. Matai. They see money, uh, but they do not see the diversity of life that is in those forests. Each year, a hundred million trees are turned into 20 billion mail order catalogs. When I see how much the Congo forest is being encroached upon, how it is being harvested, how it is being destroyed, I know that if the Congo forest goes, so does Africa. Amid stumps. Behind me, we have an example of ecological Armageddon. Stemmets. A practice currently employed by the foresters and by logging companies, who after they've cut the old growth forest, adding insult upon injury, the brush is then set on fire, sending carbon dioxide as well as gases into the atmosphere. 
If this wood had been chipped and left on the ground, the fungi would have recycled it, eventually building soil. Mathai. When it rains, the water runs off and carries with it wonderful topsoil that we need to sustain vegetation in these forests. We do not replenish the underground water and therefore eventually leave us dry up. A man opens a rope gate. In once productive farmland, it's the farmers who are being ravaged as they struggle to pay for expensive new technologies and equipment they've been pressured into buying. Shiva. Farmers have been pushed to buy more seed, have more tractors, been pushed into the loan economy. A farmer leads oxen. Now an activity that was a zero-cost activity suddenly becomes a 5,000 rupee activity every year. And the farmer is burdened with debt. An ox lies picked apart. One farmer. I couldn't make the payments on my tractor, so the bank took it away. You can see the bank. Now I have to look for work, and my family is facing starvation. I think we'll have to leave. As farmers around the world go broke and lose their farms, their land is taken over by international agribusinesses that grow genetically modified single crops for a globalized economy. Men watch an outdoor auction in North America. The truck's hood is closed. <laughs> and an old man cries. I just love farming. <laughs> Shiva. In India alone, the target is 600 million farmers. Should disappear in an industrial model of farming. No one thinks about where will the soil be, where will the soil keepers be. A woman struggles to get water from a pump in a village. We're inside a plastered home. A man lies dying. Saddled with debt, they are unable to pay. Farmers around the world are committing suicide. So far, here in Bundelkhand, there have been about 5,000 suicides. As clothes dry on the roof of another home, a woman crouches cleaning a pan with dirt. She says, I went to the fields to look for my husband. And found him hanging from a tree. She holds back tears. A man holds a picture of an older man. In India, over the last decade, an estimated 200,000 farmers have killed themselves, many by drinking the pesticide they can no longer afford. A camera flies low over rows and rows of golden grain groomed by a thresher. The stalks get messy beyond it. But order returns in rows previously done, stretching on and on. In an Argentinian field, Juan Vicente Sanchez. I think the problem is this. When you step on a person, he shouts. He lets you know he's upset. The soil doesn't. But in reality, the soil does scream. Erosion means the soil is hurt. It's bleeding. It's in pain. We don't understand this because we don't know its language. Soil is a living system. It's not dead. That's the problem. We treat it like it's dead.
Things are looking pretty grim for dirt, but there are a lot of folks out there working to revive dirt, both physically and as part of people's lives. We'll meet some of them in the conclusion of Dirt, the movie, next time on Movies for the Blind. The Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City provided more than a good story for this film. It was sort of its birthplace. Author Bill Logan attended Mass there, and chatting after one such Mass, the very Reverend James Morton asked Logan what he wanted to write about next. Logan said, Dirt. There and then, Morton offered him a room on the premises to write that book, which became the inspiration for the film. For more information and links about the movies, about description, and how to subscribe, go to the blog, moviesfortheblind.com, where you can also find out about this podcast, Creative Commons License. And the movies are from the Internet Archive, so please support universal access to human knowledge by visiting and donating at archive.org. Thank you for downloading and for listening. Back next week. Take care. (laughs) 